0: We've been thinking about what the relationship uh, is like between leaders and participants in different areas of the church uh, for the last number of months, actually. Uh, uh, We've been thinking about what the nature of the relationship is between uh, leaders and participants in Restore groups. We've been thinking about what the nature of the relationship is between community group leaders and participants in those groups. Uh, In the early days of the project, one of the things that I actually talked about quite a bit was that everyone is a lowercase c counsellor and that is true but it actually only describes a part of the relationship that needs to go on between all of us and each other at the church here. Um, It it just it doesn't kind of capture everything and part of the problem that we've actually had at different times and many of you and you so you wouldn't know this is there's probably in the in the past for the project there's been some times where we've overstepped and we've just We've kind of been a little bit too intrusive in people's lives because, and I look back on it and I just go, oh, the, the, the idea that we are regularly giving counsel to each other is true. But is that the essence of the nature of the relationship to go on between us? Is that we're each other's counsellors? And I want to just tweak it a bit today because I don't think it is. Um, and, and I wonder, as you sit here today, how you would answer this question. How would you describe the way relationships are meant to work in the church? Good question, right? Now, straight up, some of you would probably think brothers and sisters, family, right? And you would be right. But the interesting thing about family is family doesn't describe the way that you relate to each other. It describes the fact that how you are related to each other. And who knows that there are many different permutations of family relationships? Yeah. Lots of different ways that brothers and sisters relate to one another I mean even married couples um, you can be married and not be friends right that's how it can roll so I wonder as as you kind of join the leadership as we all kind of gather together and we move on this bus to uh, Restoration Church the beginning of February um, I wonder how you think about relationships between each other what should it be like, how should we relate? How would you articulate it? How would you describe it? And I want to suggest this morning, and I, for those who were here last week, you got a head start on it, that this category is the category that I think is the most helpful for us. It's friendship. It's friendship. This is the one, I think, that describes the way that we want to do relationships in Restoration Church going forward. <clears throat> but it's interesting, right? I wonder what you think of when you think of friends. Let me give you a few friends or types of friends that you might hear around the place here's one a fair weather friend a fair weather friend these these are the people that only hang around for the good times they're superficial they might want to talk about their deeper stuff but as soon as you start talking about your deeper stuff and the trouble that goes on in your life they kind of disappear on you they switch off here's another one (laughs) facebook friend all right Facebook friend, there's probably not that much needs to be said there, you know, um, this is a weird kind of friendship, isn't it, a Facebook friend, I mean, would you call it a friend, someone's officially your Facebook friend, you know, one of the things that you can do with your friends on Facebook, is you can unfollow them, (laughs) so it's kind of like, I'm on Facebook, I'm your friend, but I actually don't want to know anything that's going on in your life. That's, that's what unfollow actually means. Uh, in a lot of ways, Facebook friendship doesn't fulfill most of the categories we understand as being uh, important in having a genuine friend. Uh, I have a bunch of Facebook friends and they're not my friends. Uh, and I'm sure that you probably do too, not in the true sense of the word anyway. Here's another one. Here's another kind of friend, circumstantial friend, circumstantial friend. These are the ones who are friends with you because you're in the same time and place together. Uh, one example is work friends. You might have a friend at work, but if work got taken away, you're not really friends anymore. You just don't see them anymore. You don't talk to them. It's not always the case, but there's, there's friendships like that. I'm not saying it's a bad or a good thing. I'm just saying it's a thing. Um, if it wasn't for work, you wouldn't continue to be friends. Well, here's another one. What about uh, this one? A close, loyal friend. Now, these are gold, right? Um, these are the friendships that stick with you. These are the people who have your back. The ones that stay with you through thick and thin. You might call them your best friends or your best friend. And who knows that these kinds of friends are actually very rare? They are. I mean, chances are that this morning, even as I speak of this, some of you are thinking, I wish I had one like that. They are rare. You know, one of the things that's true from Scripture, and also it's borne out in, in reality, is we are relational beings and relationships are really important to how our life goes. There's no real surprise about that. You know, we, I could go on about different types of friendships. You can do a search on Google and you'll find lots of different types of friendships. Um, and, and I don't think we want to get everyone on the same level as a close, loyal friend. I mean, there are different levels of friendship and we need to be okay with that. And we'll deal with the reason for that next week. But let's just say at this point in time that there'll be different, different levels of friendship that you'll have with different people. You know, sometimes even uh, people who have been close, loyal friends at one time maybe aren't close and loyal now. Um, And then there's people probably even now that you know that aren't close, loyal friends that as you walk together over a period of time will actually become that. But they're not that right now. So we don't want to expect that someone's going to be a close, loyal friend straight away. Let me sum all this up with this. Close friendships are rare. And I want to say to you this morning that if you've got one, be thankful for it. They are very, very precious. One of my pet peeves when I was a kid was moving school. I didn't uh, have to do it too many times, but I had to do it twice. Once at the end of grade four and once at the end of grade nine. Um, And on both occasions, the introvert in me took over in the new school. All right. Uh, I was just nervous about meeting new kids. Um, and in the early stages, I found it hard to make friends. In fact, uh, when I moved to Sydney, I made friends with some guys. I thought they were really good guys. And then they're all having smokes on the way to sport in the afternoon. And I thought, nah it's probably not the best way to start here. Um, I remember going to my parents and saying to my parents that... Um, talking about the difficulty I was having with making friends and uh, my parents had this line that they uh, and they're here today so this is a little embarrassing but uh, they had this line that they used to say to me they said if you want to have a friend you need to be a friend and while it didn't help me in the moment it is true and it highlights the fact that true true friendship is pretty rare who who would you call your friends not just acquaintances, who would you call your friends? Who has your back? Who sticks with you through thick and thin? Who is prepared to tell you what you need to hear even though you don't want to hear it? Because they love you. Who is the person that you're able to have lots of fun with And also be serious with. Now good friendships are like pure gold. They're a huge reality for us. Now what's interesting about all of this as we come to scripture is um, I wonder if you can think of a scripture passage that explicitly teaches you how to be a good friend. You know, if you you go diving into the Scriptures to find a section like that, that, I mean, the Bible regularly tips its hat to friendship and the importance of friendship, but is there a chapter that teaches you how to be a good friend? Well, you kind of could say, well, there's lots of character traits in the Scriptures which are conducive to being a good friend, and the Bible talks about those things. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, forgive one another, be compassionate the wisdom from Proverbs on friendship. But I want to say to you this morning, there actually isn't a really explicit passage that's like a chapter long that teaches you how to be a good friend. There's lots of passages that refer to it. But usually they're on the way somewhere else, not on the way to teaching you how to be a good friend. And, uh, and I wonder why that is. I wonder if you've got any ideas why you think that is. Well, I think there's probably plenty of reasons for it but I want to suggest one to you today and I think it revolves around the idea that there's just some things that are self-evident. There are some things that are just self-evident. You don't need some scientific or artistic description to know that a sunset is beautiful. You just know it. You don't need someone to teach you that self-sacrifice for the good of another is a loving act. You just know it. It's self-evident. And even if I was just to dip my toe in this water, even though there's lots and lots of bad fathers out there, most of the time we don't need a long list of character traits of what a good father is to know what a good one is when we see it. And I want to suggest to you this morning that you don't need to have a description of what a good friend is to no one when you see it. You just don't. It's self-evident. And so when we go to the Bible, let me just expand the question out a little bit further. When we go to the Bible, um, if you thought more broadly about friendships, so not necessarily thinking about a teaching passage on what being a good friend is, Expanding it out to considering good friends in the Bible. Who would you think of in the Bible who, who are good friends? you think of any? Characters in there? I expect if uh, you know your Bibles a bit, then you'd probably put the relationship between David and Jonathan in the Old Testament, probably in your top three, I would think, in terms of friendship. Now, granted, it was a very unique and close friendship, um, one of which that most of us might only have one, maybe two in our whole lifetime, if we're blessed. So we shouldn't expect that all, the, all of the dynamics of Jonathan and David's friendship would show up all over the place. But I think we can see some of the principles of, uh, of friendship in Jonathan and David's friendship. Let me give you a little bit of background, we're going to spend the rest of this morning just uh, quickly looking at Jonathan and David, give you a little background to uh, Jonathan and David and their backstory and then we'll look at what we can learn from them about friendship. Jonathan is the son of King Saul, Saul was the first king of Israel, he was appointed in 1 Samuel 9 after the people disobediently asked for a king and rejected the Lord, previous to that people were ruled by judges and deliverers which is uh, hence the name of the book of Judges. Saul did okay for a little while. And you just need to know that Jonathan is a boss, right? He is, he is a tough guy. He's a, he's a military leader. He uh, defeats a garrison of the Philistines. who was a geber in 1 Samuel 13 and then 1 Samuel 14. He and just his armor bearer attack this uh, Philistine outpost on their own, take a big risk. Um, Jonathan is a tough guy. And as we watch the story unfold in 1 Samuel, we find out that Saul starts to do some things which are pretty dodgy. And in the end, God says to him, I'm rejecting you as king. After Saul's been rejected, God sends Samuel to anoint David king. Now Saul's still on the throne at this point. Samuel goes and he anoints David king. This is 1 Samuel 16. And eventually what happens is God sends this oppressing spirit to, uh, to Saul to oppress him. And this is where we see the kind of the first connection between David and the uh, the house of Saul in 1 Samuel 16. You can read that with me. David came to Saul and entered his service and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armour bearer. And Saul sent to to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favour in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul... David took the lyre and played it with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Is it, is it David in the courts of the king? And now, we're not told about it, but I reckon this is probably where David met Jonathan. Um, now, you can see where this is going, right? There's, uh, <laughs> this is complicated, you know? Like people in counseling, they talk about multiple or dual relationships, wearing different hats, all right? This is interesting, isn't it? You've got the guy that has been anointed to be king in the presence of the king that's been rejected. Like, what could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? As the story goes on, David fights Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, Paul, uh, David starts getting um, a bunch of attention and then Saul starts getting really jealous of him in 1 Samuel 18. Um, and in the middle of this rising kind of problem, there's this sublime statement about um, Jonathan and David's friendship. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, um, my insertion there about Goliath, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, his armour and his armour and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now there's a bunch of things going on here. but Look at this. This is a, this is a close bond, isn't it? The immediate bond between the two. Uh, loved him as he loved himself. What's being described here is a very, very deep friendship. He forms a covenant with him. A covenant is a deep, solemn relationship. Marriage is... A covenants. <laughs> and what you can see here also is there's a handing over of the robe and weapons. Now perhaps this is a kind of passing on of the kingship which Jonathan's dad didn't want to do. Jonathan does it for David or maybe it's just one friend giving to another what would have been so significant and precious to them. You know Saul, as the story goes on, Saul becomes increasingly neurotic and wants to kill David. Eventually, Saul ends up hating him so much, he gives this command to kill him. And what we actually see in Samuel is Saul's determination to kill David becomes a feature of the latter part of Saul's kingship. What a complicated web. You see this? Best friends, Jonathan and David, and Jonathan's dad wants to kill David and gives orders to do so. That's tricky, isn't it? I mean, that's really, really gutsy. I mean, if you're in a situation at the moment, you go, relationships are very, very tricky. This is tricky. (laughs) This is really tricky. And it's really gutsy from uh, Jonathan's side, right? Because he's friends with someone who his dad wants to kill. And it's actually really gutsy from David's side because he's staying friends with someone whose father wants to kill him, you know? It's like, it just changes the whole thing, you know, if you're going over to play Xbox at your mate's place, <laughs> right? Because dad's there and he wants to take you out. I mean, it's just complex. But as we, as we kind of have a look at what we can learn from uh, the relationship between Jonathan and David, I think there's, um, there's three things that we can learn about how to do friendship with each other. Here's, here's the first one. Friends speak on behalf of each other. 1 Samuel 19, verse 1 and 4 to 6. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David, his best friend. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine and the Lord worked great salvation for all Israel. You saw it? And rejoiced, why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, Saul swore as the Lord lives he shall not be put to death. What's Jonathan doing? He's backing his friend, that's what he's doing. His dad wants to kill his friend and he supports his friend when he's away from him. And I just just ask this question, what do you do when people criticise your friends? And they're not around. Do you speak good things about them? Do you back them, even though you know that they're not perfect? You know, one of the things that I say to, uh, to our boys in the house is um, when they're criticising each other is uh, you need to back one another. There are enough people outside the family who are going to criticise you. You don't need people inside the family to do that. Who are you close to? Are you negative about the people that you're close to? When their name comes up in a conversation? Do you speak well of them? Are you a good friend to them? Or do you criticise them to others? You know, if, if you've got a habit of criticising and being negative about the people that you're close to, firstly, you just need to repent, right? Because you should not be doing that. If you've got an issue with them, who do you think you should go and talk to? Audience participation? Them. Go and talk to them. Friends don't gossip about each other. If you want to be a good friend, speak well about each other, especially when you're not with them. This is what we want, isn't it? I mean, do you want to be part of a church like that? Where we would speak well about one another, when we're separate from each other, when someone criticizes someone that you know, and you don't buy into it. <laughs> you just, you be a good friend at that point. You just go, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. If you've got a problem, you go and talk to them. But I love them and I'm backing them. We defend each other. That's what we need to do. Second one. You see this from uh, Jonathan and David too. Friends put themselves in harm's way for each other. This is 1 Samuel 20. <clears throat> Let me... Um, let me just give you a bit of background before I read this. 1 Samuel 20 outlines this big plan between David and Jonathan, which they work out together so that David doesn't end up in a really dangerous situation. And a key part of the plan is that there's going to be this festival and Jonathan's going to be there, but David's seat is going to be empty. David's not actually going to go. And Saul notices David's absence at this festival um, and Jonathan defends him and, and this is the... Uh, part of the, uh, the narrative that we'll read here. 1 Samuel 20, 30 to 33. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. I'm assuming the mum wasn't around at that point. Um, maybe she was. Uh, Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, that's David, and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Look at this. But Saul held his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. This is like the next level up, isn't it? I mean, we're just talking about speaking well of people. This is speaking well at at the risk of your own life. You ever experienced something like this? You know, if... If you're a good friend, chances are that you've spoken up for a friend to your own hurt. And, and that is actually part of being a friend, is sticking with them even when there's a possibility of your own hurt. That's what friends do. We take hits for each other, right? That's what we do. Friends strengthen each other in God. David is in the wilderness, Saul is out to kill him, we're up to 1 Samuel 23, even though he said he wouldn't, he's out to kill him. Uh, let's read this because you, I mean, you can get a sense of what's going on here just by this short part of the narrative, 1 Samuel 23, 15 to 18, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. You see this? (laughs) I mean, I imagine Jonathan sitting at home and he hears the news that David's out in the wilderness at Ziph and he also hears at the same time that his own father is going out to kill him. And what does Jonathan decide? I've got to go out, I've just got to get to my mate. I've got to get to him and I've got to back him and I've got to support him at this point in time because I know... He would have known David would have been anxious, right? When you read the Psalms, you read the Psalms that David writes and you can see that he gets anxious. And I tell you, probably all of us would be anxious if there's someone coming to kill us. What what does Jonathan do? He's like, I just have to get to my mate and strengthen him. That's what I need to do. And this is what friends do. Friends strengthen each other in God. And, And this is a part of friendships. It's outside the scope of those who don't know Jesus. There's lots of good things that can happen in friendships all over the place. But, you know, the really deep stuff, you know, if, if the center of what it means for us to be human is our orientation to God, and Scripture speaks about that over and over, then there's nothing more significant and precious than someone coming along and strengthening us in that space. Jonathan knows that this will be a pressure point for David and he finds a way to get to him and point him to God and his purposes and this is actually the last known contact between the two. What a risky thing for Jonathan to do. It's the two family members, one's trying to kill David, the other one's on his way to help him. What what does Jonathan say to to David? What, what, What is he up to? Well, he tells him not to fear. That's a good encouragement. You know If you're thinking about something you could say to your friend who's anxious, you say, "Don't give into it. Don't give into it. Don't fear. What else, what else does he do? Well, uh, Jonathan always also reminds David of the certainty of God's plans and purposes. The hand of Saul won't find you. And this is, this is what friends do. I mean, there's other things that friends do, but if you have got a sense that someone in Restoration Church, project at the moment, but in Restoration Church is fearful and you're close enough and it won't be weird for you to just get in there and encourage them not to give way to fear and to remember that God's plans and purposes are strong and sure, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? Is anyone with me on that? that'd be a good friend. That'd be a really, really good friend. You know, situations can get so overwhelming and blinding. And don't we need friends to come in who aren't blinded by them, who can keep optimistic about who God is and what he's up to. We need to be reminded of that. I've had that over and over and over again. My best mate in Kurt has done that for me so many times. He's in Sydney. Uh, My mate Kurt's in Sydney. We often talk on the phone, probably Every week almost. And there's situations that I get in where it's just blinding for me. And what does he do? He's not blinded by it. He can see what God's up to and he says, don't give in. Keep going. He stays optimistic about God, what he's up to, even when the situation for me is, is difficult and blinding. Do you do this for other people? Who knows that we need it? Does anyone know that? Who does it for you? Who's just got a keen sense that... Whatever your name is, they they, they just sit at home and they go, I just don't think they're going very well at the moment. And sometimes we can all... Who knows you can be in your own personal wilderness? You can be, right? You can just be in your own personal wilderness... And you know the cool thing about technology is uh, you don't have to get on a horse to get to each other, right? Isn't it true? You can send a text. Some of you do that. You send texts. You send Bible verses. You send encouragements. You go over in person. That's the kind of relationships we want to be having in Restoration Church, isn't it? That's the kind of thing we want to be doing. We want to be good friends to each other. If we know that someone's struggling, go and strengthen their hand in God. That's a weird thing to say, right? But you could be walking out the door and someone in your house goes, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm going to strengthen someone's hand in God. No, it's weird, right? But remind each other not to fear that God's purposes will prevail and that we can trust him. You don't have to be cheesy about it. Let's be real about it. Uh, do it in a robust way. This is the sweet, sweet counsel that friends give. And I want to close with this and maybe the, the um, worship team can come up. I want, I want to close with this. Uh, Jesus is a good friend. Jesus is a good friend. Do you remember um, the first one? Friends speak on behalf of each other. Well, you know, I was talking to someone a little while ago about, um, and we'll probably do some sort of podcast or something on this, because I, I, I think it gets overlooked a bit, the preciousness of it. But um, I was talking to someone about advocacy, being an advocate. And um, you know what an advocate does? An advocate speaks on behalf of another person. And do you know, every single one of us needs an advocate to speak on our behalf, right? Right? I mean, not just because of the situations that we get ourselves in. I mean, advocacy is really important for people who are voiceless. They don't have a voice. And so someone comes along and they're an advocate. They become the person's voice and they support them and help them. But we're in even more trouble than that because we've turned from God and we, we sin. You know, and, you know, there's a... The devil's around, Right? And one of the devil's gigs is accusation. And, you know, some of the devil's accusation, we could step back and go, actually, you know, he's got a point. (laughs) Actually, he's got a point. Because none of us are perfect. We don't have a clean record. You know, there's this story in Zechariah where uh, the high priest comes and it says he's clothed in filthy garments. And... uh, the devil shows up and God's there. And yet you read this, this story in the prophet and you just go, this is not going to end well. This will not end well. Like you, you just can't be in the presence of God in filthy garments. Like, and the, the accuser's there, the devil's there to accuse. He's got a point. So you know what the high priest needs in that, in that picture is the high priest needs an advocate someone who can speak on behalf of him. But it's not just to the devil because our record, no, God's the one who is the judge. And so uh, we find ourselves on the wrong side of the law. And we need someone to speak on our behalf. And I want to say to you, Jesus, is a good friend. You know why? Because he's, he's our advocate. He speaks on our behalf. 1 John 2 verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, here's a good news, right? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Friends speak on behalf of one another. Jesus is a good friend. He speaks on behalf of you. Remember the second one? Friends put themselves in harm's way for each other. Wow. There's not much that needs to be said here, right? John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's Jesus. Jesus is a good friend. You remember the third one I said? Friends strengthen each other in God. Well, Jesus does this too. Uh, we see him doing it in action with Simon, Peter. In Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is a good friend. It's good to have a good friend, isn't it? In fact, Jesus is the best friend. He's the one that will never let you down. I wonder if you'd stand with me. I'll pray, we'll sing, and um, have a benediction at the end. God, none of us can say this morning, "I have no friends." I just think, God, about that—that um, that great hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came close. You came so close, you got a bad reputation. You're accused of uh, being a friend of sinners. And that is good news for us, that you are a friend of sinners. Jesus, I, uh, I thank you that you're a good friend to us. I pray that you'd help us to be a good friend to you and good friends to each other. God, as we look to... Uh, to transitioning into Restoration Church at the beginning of February. God, grow us in our ability to be good friends one to another. Amen.